0: good morning. Man, a bunch of Bama fans in the room or something. I right, like sad. Good morning. I'm glad to be here. If you got a Bible, and I hope you do, go ahead and open with me. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and a little bit in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, so go ahead and mark that, if you will. While you're turning there, uh, let me uh, take just a second. If we had not met yet, my name is Dallas Wilson. I am the uh, I have been the teaching pastor at Harrison Bridge for the past four um, four four and a half years now, man, and the time has flown and God has been so good, but in reference uh, to what Brian said about pastor appreciation, let me just say, man, if I'm honest, me and my wife, Jenna and our, our, my girls are down there, we just feel blessed to, to be here, honestly. We love Upstate Church, we love First Baptist Simpsonville, and I want you guys to know Uh, As far as uh, church staffs go and minister appreciation goes, we have the best team anywhere literally in the nation. I would put our our church staff up against anybody, great godly men and women of character. And and I I want you guys to know this, that that starts at the top. And I want to say to you this morning without him in the room, because he would object if he was in the room, uh, Wayne Bray is the real deal. And and it is minister appreciation, so I want to challenge you to take some time this this month and find a way, uh, especially those of you in this room, to show Wayne some appreciation. Let me just say this to you. There has been no greater influence in my life over the past four years than Wayne Bray. Uh, I've learned more about godly character. I've learned more about how to love my wife. I've learned more about how to lead uh, a church from Wayne than I have any other human being in the world. Uh, And In a day and age where pastors are about platform and power, Wayne's about empowering other people to accomplish the mission and not taking the spotlight for himself. So I, I say that. Yeah, praise God for, for that. I, I'm li- I want you guys to understand that this is not just me. Some of y'all are like, well, he's kissing up to the boss. I am, all right, so what's it to you? But this is not just me kissing up to the boss. I'm, a, I'm living proof. Uh, of his, his intentionality to pour into the next generation. He hired me when, uh, I mean, guys, Brian, y'all shouldn't have hired me. It, it was not wise. I don't know what you guys were thinking. Praise God. Like, I'm glad you did, though. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. Take some time this month. When you pull into Starbucks and get your $7 coffee, all right, spend $10 more and get a $10 gift card, all right. What's $10 more You're already paying 7 for a coffee. I know how, I know how y'all are, all right. Get that $10 gift card, send it to him in the mail, and write him a little note about how thankful you are uh, for him to be leading our church. Okay, i challenge you to do that. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to dive into the message. Dear Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you, for, uh, thank you for this team, God. Thank you that I get to be a part of it. Thank you for this church. God, over the next few minutes, I pray that the power of God could accomplish what the power of man cannot by the authority of the Word and by the power of the Spirit. Let it be done uh, here and now. In your name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For those of you who are are just joining us, let me give us a little recap to kind of let you know where we're at. We're spending three weeks looking at selected portions in the book of Ecclesiastes, all right? Ecclesiastes is written to us by a man who calls himself the preacher, your version of the Bible might say teacher, Uh, it's really Solomon though, and what this preacher or teacher does is to set out to try to understand the point of life from the human perspective, he wants to, under, he phrases it this way, he wants to look under the sun to understand what the meaning of life is. Now, the good news is, is that his summary is concise and straight to the point. Here's what he finds out the meaning of life is. The message of Ecclesiastes is this, life is pointless. Amen, right? Praise God, preacher. Life is pointless. Man, I feel encouraged. But this is what he says, Ecclesiastes 1, starting in, in, in verse 2. Read it with me. I want you to see it from his words. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What's that mean? Meaningless. Worthless. Has no purpose. Has no point. It's just vain. Verse 3, what does man gain by all his toil at which he toils under the sun? Answer, nothing. Nothing. Here's what he's trying to say. You're going to work for 25 years at the same job. When you retire, they're going to give you a golden watch. They're going to replace you with somebody half your age who they can pay half as much money. What do you gain by all your toil? Nothing. Verse 4, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. People come, people go. It's the way of the world. Verse 5, the sun rises, the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises, the wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. Just day after day, verse 7, all streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. Verse 8, all things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The eyes not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What's he saying? Life, from a human point of view, under the sun, life is pointless. It's all one giant rat race. And listen, everybody who's lived longer than five minutes on this earth knows that Scripture is exactly right. Right, think about this with me. Life's a giant rat race. You are born at a time that you had no control over, to people you did not choose. And if you get lucky, you get a good set of parents, and they raise you into maturity, which is somewhere between eighteen and nowadays, evidently thirty-seven. All right, and then you get a job. Then you get a job. And you go to a job that you don't like to buy things that you don't need to impress people you don't care for. And then if you're really, (laughs) he's just a realist. The rest of y'all are in denial. (laughs) And if you're really lucky, you might at some point, and if you're really observant, you might begin to ask, am I making a difference at all? And let me encourage you, most of you are normal just like me, so the answer is no. No difference. Day after day after day goes by, and what what happens is you find yourself living in a version of the movie Groundhog Day, except this time you're Bill Murray. And then guess what? You die, and no one remembers your name. How many of y'all are just like super encouraged at this point? <laughs> parents ask your kids, do they know your parents? Ask your kids if they know their great grandparents. Maybe you get lucky, ask them if they know their great, great grandparents. Three generations. Nope. Because this is the way life works. It's like Shakespeare said. Shakespeare said it this way. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time, and all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life is but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Y'all think I don't know Shakespeare because I'm from South Georgia? <laughs> I know Shakespeare. Maybe, maybe Shakespeare's not your speed. Maybe Alabama's more your speed. What did Alabama say about it? I'm in a hurry to get things done. Oh, I Rush and rush until life's no fun. All I really got to do is live and die. But I'm in a hurry and don't know why. See, some, some of y'all are like, oh, I get what you're saying now. Don't pity my singing voice. I sound even worse if I'm not hoarse. Y'all like the way I sound this morning? Just by the way, I sound like this because Brian Owens gave me a cold this week. So thank you, Brian, all right? (laughs) He has been taking care of me this morning, though. So listen, I understand that at this point, what we have before us in the book of Ecclesiastes is an exceptionally depressing tale. But the point in the book of Ecclesiastes is to show us life under the sun so that we might begin to ask, is this really all there is? You see, the whole point in the book of Ecclesiastes is meant to push us to asking this question. What if there is a better way? I would say it to you this way. What if instead of buying into the lie that we have to live in this rat race, There is a God who has come to us from over the sun to under the sun, and he has come to give us life and life abundantly. What if we saw things from God's point of view? So if you were here last week, we talked about our need to see time from God's point of view. What if we saw time from God's point of view? What if we used our time that God gave us in a way that honored him? Today, what we're going to kind of look at is this. We're going to look at how God wants to use us in the midst of a broken and fast life. And if you're a note taker, you can write this down. I think this is going to be the ultimate point that we're going to see today. Despite the cruel and quick nature of life in a broken and sinful world, God wants to use you and your talents for his glory and the good of others. So yes, life is tough. Yes, it goes quick. Yes, it seems unfair. But God wants to use you still. To this end, look with me at Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Let me explain it to you this way. Ecclesiastes 9, starting in verse 11, here's what the scripture says. Again, I saw that under the sun... It's an important phrase, under the sun. That's all we can see is things from our point of view. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor the riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Let's stop right there. I want. I, whenever we read through Scripture like this, it's really important that we understand what the author is trying to help us see. We don't want to bring our own opinions to it. We want to see what Scripture is trying to help us see. And in Ecclesiastes chapter nine verse eleven and twelve, the author of Ecclesiastes makes a couple of assumptions that we that he is exp- Expecting us to agree with as the reader. Basically what he's saying is this. He's assuming that we would agree with two things. Number one, time goes really quick and life is unfair. He says the race is not always to the swift. In other words, life's unfair. I would say it to you this way. Sometimes bad things just happen to good people. Because time and chance happen to them all. The race is not always to the swift. Sometimes the best team loses. Sometimes once in every 15 years, Bama fans, Tennessee will win. (laughs) And so the author of Ecclesiastes says to us, listen, life is not fair. Now the question is for us, listen, what do we do about that? Do we just take our ball and go home? Man, life is not fair, so I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. It's not what he says. Look with me at verse 13. He says, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. Here's what he's doing. He says, listen, I know that life is unfair, but he wants to offer us something in the midst of an unfair and hard life. He says, I've seen this example that seemed to be great. What's he doing? He's offering us the chance to live a great life, a life that is more than just the rat race, a life that has purpose and has meaning. And I want to ask you this up front because I don't assume that the answer everybody has is yes. But I want to know, church, do you want to live a great life? Do you actually want to live a great life? Because, listen, yes, I know life is hard. Yes, I know life is unfair. Yes, I know time is a thief and goes quick. But God is still offering you the chance to do something with your life that matters. Do you want to live a great life? So he tells us what a great life looks like. He says in verse 14, There was a little city with a a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered the poor man. Now let's let's talk for, about this for just a second. What is it that seems great? To, to Solomon, what is it that seemed great about this man's life? It was not that he had built up for himself a massive fortune, that he had taken care of his family, his kids' kids to the next generation. It was not that he had a great reputation or a massive amount of respect. He has none of that. What was it about this man's life that seemed so great? What it was about his life that made it a great life was that he used his life not for his own glory, but for another's glory, and he used his life not for his own good, but for another's good. So listen to me, church. Do you want to live a great life? Here's the key. you got to live it for God's glory and for the good of others. Now, you can read verses 16 through 18 on, on your own later. There he gives us the alternative to what a great life will look like, a life that's not built trying to serve others. But for now, we're going to look at verses 13 through 15. Here's what I want you to know. If you want to live a great life, there are three things about this story that I need to point out to you. The first thing I want to point out to you is this. God wants to use you, but it's not about you. God wants to use you, but it's not about you. Everyone, including you, has something that God wants to use. Now, let me stop right there for just a second, because when I say statements like that, you automatically in this room, you assume that I'm talking to somebody else. I'm not talking to anybody else right now. I'm talking to you. Who's you? You or you? I'm talking to you. God, you have something that God wants to use. You have skills, talents, and resources that God has given you that he expects you to use for his glory and others' good. Let me tell you why this is such a big deal. This is such a big deal because oftentimes in this little Christian bubble we live in, especially in the Bible Belt here in in South Carolina and Greenville, we're in the buckle of it, right? We begin to believe that we really don't have anything that God wants to use. We tell ourselves stuff like, I'm not that important. I'm not that special. I don't have anything to offer. I'm not that skilled. And we imagine that God wants to use everyone else, but he doesn't want to use us. And I want to tell you that is a lie from the pit of hell because the way the gospel of the kingdom goes forward is through people like you and people like me. You have something that God wants to use. You might say to me, well, I might have something God wants to use, but you don't know my past. Can I tell you this morning, I don't give a rip about your past. I know that sounds mean. Preachers aren't supposed to say stuff like that. But there's nothing in your past that prevents you from God using you in the future. You might come in here and say, well, you don't know my present. I love you. I don't care what you're facing this morning. God wants to use you as you walked in the door this morning. He has you here because he has a plan for you. Y'all okay? Because ever since I told y'all life is pointless, y'all seem a little down, honestly. God wants to use you. How do I know this? Look with me at the text. The text says that God used a poor man to deliver the city from a great king. Now, here's why this is important. Yes, poor means financially destitute. Yeah, that's what it means here. But it also means it also means of low estate. It also means someone who is not that impressive. So get the picture. That this city is being laid siege by someone who is very impressive, by someone who has all the resources, by someone who has everything they need. And the city is delivered by someone who is not impressive at all. God uses people who are not impressive to accomplish things that are impressive. And that's good news for for, for everybody in the room. You want to know why? Because if we're honest with ourselves, we're just not that impressive. God uses small people because it's not about us in the first place. And God wants us to know this. God uses small people to show us that he's the one in control. We're not in control. Think with me about this. When we say that God can't use me because I don't have anything to offer, you know what we're doing? We're overestimating our own importance. As if our skill level determined the outcome of what God wanted to do. You know what I'm saying? Well, that would sound something like this: God really wants to save your neighbor, neighbor, but you just don't speak well enough for that to happen. Don't that sound stupid? Because it is. God really wants to, to, to change your work culture. He really wants to use you to be a catalyst, to love on a kid in one of your classrooms. He really wants to use you to take the gospel to that client. He, he wants to do that, but he can't, because you're just not special. That's crazy. God uses small people to show us we're not in control in the first place. As a matter of fact, He's the one that determines the outcome. You know how we know that? Because the race isn't always to the swift. God's in control. And God uses weak people to show how strong he is. God uses small people to show how enormous he is. And can I tell you that this is the biblical pattern for how God has worked throughout human history. Think with me about this, all right? Let's think about how God has used people to accomplish things. We read the Bible sometimes, and we just read it with a, with a really crazy lens of the people we're reading. Think with me about King David. King David is the great warrior king of all Israel, right? It, 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 but what they, they had a song about David. Anybody know that song about David? He has killed what? Tens of thousands. Man, I just want to tell you, you might be bad, but ain't nobody singing a song about how you've killed tens of thousands, all right? David was a bad man. David was nothing before God used him. As a matter of fact, David was so much nothing that when Samuel came to Jesse and said, I'm going to anoint one of your your children king, Jesse got all of his kids and he left David in the field because he said, there's no way David's going to be king. I'm just going to tell you, I'd have some daddy issues after that. Like, dad, what do you mean you didn't call me? Oh, we're just getting together. We're just getting, nah, we, we've actually been here, but I just didn't think he would want you, right? But guess what? When God gets ready to slay the, the giant Goliath for defaming his name, he doesn't use the tallest man in all of Israel. You know who the tallest man in all of Israel was? Saul. He doesn't send Saul, he sends David. Why? Because it's not about us in the first place. I can give you example after example. How about Abraham? I grew up deep Southern Baptist. We got songs we sing about Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. You know, right? You want to know what Abraham was? A coward. On two separate occasions, Abraham tells a ruling king that his wife is his sister because he's scared for his life. Man, I'm just going to tell you, that ain't a good idea for your marriage. Is this your wife? I tell you, she's more like a sister to me, Right, Sarah cuts her eyes over there. He did it twice. I can understand doing it once. He did it twice. He was, he was not a brave man, but God used him. Think with me about Moses. Moses was an octogenarian who had a speech impediment and had murdered a man. Can I just tell you, there are some of y'all in this room who say, man, I'm just too old to be used by God. I've breached. Moses didn't get called by God to his 83. Stop crying. I don't have any special skill. Moses couldn't put two words together and had to go stand before the most powerful man in the whole world. God wants to use you. Now the question is, do you believe that? Because listen, I've done this church thing for a while and I think one problem we got in this church bubble that we live in is that we say a bunch of stuff but we don't really mean what we say. And I'm asking you, do you actually believe that God wants to use you? Or is that just something you say? I'm here to tell you there is no such thing as a great life without submitting your life to God to be used by him. Do you believe God wants to use you? Stay-at-home mom, school teacher, banker, retiree, student, entrepreneur, do you believe God wants to use you? Scripture says he does. The second thing I want to point out to you is this. God wants to use you, but you still have to do something. God wants to use you, but you have to do something. Being used by God for his glory and others' good, living a great life, listen to me. It doesn't just happen. I want you to understand this. It does not just happen. You have to do something. Now, what do I mean when I say you have to do something? Here's what I mean. You have to do something other than the normal humdrum activity of your daily life where you go through life concerned with your well-being and what you want and what you need and what's best for you and what people think of you and how you can go forward. We have to do something that gets us out of the rat race at which we live at the center, and we have to do something to say, God, I want to live for your glory and others' good. I want you to see, this is exactly what the poor man did. The poor man in this story could have done nothing. And can I tell you, he was probably expected to do nothing. I don't think when the great king came against the city that the people were looking to the poor man saying, hey, we really need you to go and deliver us. No, as a matter of fact, when he showed up and said, I got an idea, people may have been surprised. But because he did something, God used him for the good of others. We have to do something if we want to live a great life. And can I just be pastorally honest with you? I think sometimes we get up here sometimes and talk, and we talk about doing, doing stuff like this. you got to do something. you got to make a move. And we make it sound like it's easy, and we just take it for granted. Can I tell you, I know that it's not easy to do something for God. I know that it's not. You want to know why most of us don't do something? Most of us don't do something because doing nothing is easier. It's easier to do nothing. It's easier to go through life in the rat race. And it's easier to stay focused on what we have, what we need, what we want, what we have to take care of than what God might want from us or what others might need from us. It's hard to do something. I think most of us think this. We're just not brave enough to say it. I'm reminded of my little girl kind of voicing this to me uh, uh, not too long ago. She's down here on the front row. Her name's Danny. She's six, and I had the chance to baptize her last week. Can I tell you one of the coolest things I've ever done in my life was to baptize my daughter? Like, I, I, yeah, praise God. <laughs> and I, I like pride myself, like, you know, on, on being a man's man. Like, I'm a man. I don't really cry, that kind of stuff. Can I just tell you, I cried a little bit. I did. She was like, I, I, I got her in the tub. I said, Danny do you do you want commit to follow Jesus for the rest of your life and she said yes and I was like I baptized my sister right it's crazy but we we me and my wife Jenna had been talking to her about baptism for literally months and months and it's it's hard because with a six-year-old you know you want to make sure that they understand what it means to follow Jesus and I remember on one particular occasion we were we were coming to church on a Sunday evening for something and I told Danny I said Danny People who get baptized are people who've made Jesus the Lord of their life. That means they do what he says. They want to live for him. And I'll never forget her response as long as I live. Here's what she said to me. She said, Daddy, Jesus is Lord of my life, and I want to follow him, but sometimes I just need a minute. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, amen, sister? (laughs) Anybody ever felt that? Lord, I know you're calling me to love this person right now, but I'm going to be honest. I need a minute, right? You come in after a long, hard day, right? And, and, and you and your spouse, y'all kind of at it, and you're going to say, Lord, I know you called me to love this person, but I need a minute, right? I was like, man, maybe she's on to something here, right? And so we were coming to church that night for our, it was the kickoff of our One initiative. Everybody remember when we kicked off One? And we had these cards. And on the cards, it had a place where you could say, uh, you know, the one who you're going to be praying for, and that you were going to be an ambassador of the vision. And the final thing was it had a financial commitment. Now, me and my wife, we put out that card for our financial commitment and took it forward and laid it down. And I got back to the seat, and my six-year-old daughter wanted an explanation as to what that final blank was. And so I said, well, you know, we kind of have to talk about it later. But, I mean, there was some duress in her face, and we got to explain it. I said, well, Danny, uh, if Jesus is Lord of your life, that means you give everything to him. That means you even have to give your money back to him. And I'm never forget, she said, you mean to tell me God wants my money? I said, baby, that's exactly what I'm telling you. And I had to explain to her how mommy and daddy tithe. We want to make sure that we're putting God first. And she said, I'll be honest. I feel like God's asking a little too much. (laughs) Now, here's the deal. She's a six-year-old. She was just being honest. But most of us, the reason why we do nothing instead of doing something is because we don't have the courage to say what a six-year-old said is that, God, I feel like you're asking me to do just a little too much. And can I tell you why? It's because you're living your life in the rat race with you at the center instead of pulling back from the rat race and saying, God, you're at the center. Because get this, when God's at the center and he asks us to do something, it doesn't wreck everything. When we're at the center and God asks us to do something, you know what we say? God, I feel like you're just asking me a little too much. And I want you to understand this, church. The Christian life is built on steps of obedience in response to God's call. That those who know Jesus are people who respond to Jesus in obedience to Jesus. Such that I would say to you this morning, if you do not live a life in response to who Jesus is and what Jesus is and what Jesus has done, I would give serious thought to whether you know Jesus at all. We are being called to do something. The final thing I want you to see is this. God wants to use you, but no one may remember your name. God wants to use you, but no one may remember your name. Oftentimes, we associate great acts of obedience or great accomplishments with worldly renown and worldly respect and human acclaim, right? Well, not this time. The Bible says that, not, not, uh, that you could be obedient, that you could do something, that you could act for the glory of God and the good of others. And guess what? You will die and no one still may remember your name. That's what happened to the poor man here. It says he delivered the whole city and no one remembered his name. You can almost hear the conversation between people who lived in the city 50 years after the poor man delivered them. Yeah, think about it with me. The, 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 the poor man delivered the city 50 years ago by and, and two people on the street in that city having a conversation. They say to each other, do you remember when that great king came upon us and he besieged us and laid siege to the city and we thought we were all going to die? And the other guy says, yes, yes, I remember that. But one person saved us. What was his name? Uh, Bill. No, that wasn't his name. What was that guy's name? You know the guy who did the thing that saved us from the guy. What was his name? The Bible says no one remembered his name. And Solomon's writing to us here to warn us that human praise, what other people think about you, whether or not other people like you, human respect is a fickle friend. And it can be here one second and gone the next. Such that, listen to me, we don't live our life in the middle of the rat race trying to make other people happy with us, trying to get other people to like us, trying to impress other people. We live our life to say, God, what do you want me to do for your good and the glory, your glory and the good of others? Don't. Don't live your life trying to impress other people when you should be impressing God. Can I just tell you something? Social media has ruined us here. Social media has absolutely ruined us here because we now live a life where everything we do is to impress an audience of people we can't even see. And I'm just here to tell you what Solomon's telling you. That like button's a fickle friend. Is here one second, gone the next. You want to have a great life? Worry about what God thinks of you, whether God remembers your name, not whether other people remember your name. You see, here's the key to a great life. It's not found in building a personal legacy such that when you die, people talk about you for generations. It's found in building a legacy so that when you die, even though no one may remember your name, they remember the name of the God you serve. So with that, I want to close, and I want to do so rather intentionally. The first thing I want to do is I I just want to know, church, do you want to live a great life? In order to live a great life, you must first know the great God who's come to ransom you from this pointless life. You see, Solomon writes this this book in Ecclesiastes and he says, under the sun, under the sun, under the sun, everything under the sun is pointless. But the whole point of the the Ecclesiastes and the whole point of the Bible is that we don't live bound to what's just under the sun. We have a God who has come to us from over the sun, and he's come to us under the sun, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he died on a cross, and he rose again on the third day so that we might have eternal life and eternal purpose. Do you want a great life? It starts with having a great God. And taking that God and putting him at the center where you've been. And saying, God, I'm stepping out of the rat race. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's about what you want, God. Lead me, guide me. It's about what you want. Let me ask you this this morning. Have you ever come to know Jesus in that way? Have you ever come to know Jesus in such a way that you would say, I've been looking to get out of this pointless pointless endeavor I've been in I've been looking to find somebody else to to put at the center. I've been looking for somebody to give me life and purpose. Have you ever come to know Jesus in that way? If not, today is the day. He offers life, and he offers it abundantly. Finally, those of you who do know Jesus, let me just close by asking this question. Will you do something? Will you do something? Will you agree that I'm going to step out of the rat race, I'm going to put Jesus at the center, and whatever he does, whatever he asks, I'll do. Let me give you three, three things you might not leave here doing today. Number one, I want to challenge you with this. Will you serve? Will you serve? This QR code on the screen, if you don't serve in any capacity in our church, I would challenge you, take your phone out and scan this QR code and sign up to serve. Can I just tell you, I don't know why you would want to be a part of our church if you don't want to serve. We're on a mission to reach the upstate for Jesus Christ. And listen, if you're new here, I'm glad you're here. Welcome. Get get to know the place a little bit. But I want you to know if if you want to come to a place where you can just sit on a pew and be comfortable and have your ears tickled and not be challenged, you have come to the wrong place. I don't know why you'd want to be a part of our church and not serve. Let me tell you a couple needs that we have. We need young married and that they're gonna find this insulting, middle-aged married couples to lead small groups, to lead missional communities where people who are coming into our church can find a place to plug in. You might say, well, oh man, my small group's great. I love the people in your small I love the people in my small group. I love you. I could care less. Isn't that mean? I'm so mean today. I, there are people who need Jesus. There are people who need what you have. and We need more small group leaders, more people who are willing to lead missional communities. Maybe you are called to serve in our kids' ministry. Can I just tell you, there are days when I walk back in our, uh, the hallway on our kids' ministry and I consider it an absolute victory if the leaders are still standing. You want to know why? There are kids everywhere. Like I feel like, it, like the, it, it's like the opening scene of like Saving Private Ryan in the kid theater sometimes. I'm like, what is going on? I'm just gonna tell you, we need more people who are passionate about telling the next generation about who God is and about how God is offering them a better life. Maybe you're called to work with our student ministry. Can I tell you, I think our student ministry is one of the best things about our church because we're raising teenagers to see that life doesn't have to be pointless. But I can just say this, there's a place somewhere where are you serving? The second thing I wanna challenge you with is this, not only serve here on Sunday and Wednesday, live it out, out there during the week. Can I just tell you, we have yet to see the difference God would make in our community if we all stood up from this place on Sunday morning and lived out what we really believed on Monday through Saturday. And then finally, I would challenge you with this. uh, I would close with this. I really believe that that for some of you, one of your next steps is going to be going to Upstate Church Haywood when we launch in 2023 and being a part of the community that's going there to, to bring more people to Jesus. Wayne has said that he thinks there are 100 of you. I've talked to about seven, so there's 93 more somewhere. And I'll tell you you what's in my mind that I'm going to do. I'll tell you what's in Wayne's mind, and Brian, and Wes, and Pat, and Steve, and everyone else, I'll tell you what's in their mind. We're going into a place where there is no Jesus, and we're gonna give them Jesus. Would you pray about whether God might have you go Church, no matter what it is, God would have you do something. You can come down forward in this altar time and pray about that. Here's my last what-if question for you. What if we all did what God was calling us to do? Man, how the world would change. Lord, I I pray that you would forgive me for where I have rambled on. Lord, I just pray that you would um, make the foolish ramblings of a man beneficial by the power of your name. Dear God, if at any point today I overspoke, I pray that you would forgive me, Lord. I know sometimes just in an effort to communicate, dear God, I may even be to the point, dear God, and I pray that you would forgive me for that. Lord, I care about everybody in this room. Dear God, I care about where they are with you. I care about their next step. I care about why they love our church so much, dear God. But I do pray, Father, right here, right now, that you would not let us get so caught up in what we like that we leave ourselves at the center of the rat race and refuse to put you at the center, Lord. We love you God, we praise you. Do it only you can do in us. In Jesus name.